the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 304. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Philip Whitmore. Hey, you're Philip. Great to have you on the show for the first time. Uh, thanks very much. Now, maybe you can uh, you can tell us a little bit about where you fit into this world of uh, of technology. Sure. So I'm, I'm a partner at KPMG, um, one of the big four consultancy firms, and I head up our cybersecurity division. That's actually a pretty cool role to have. Uh, it looks a lot of fun and it's a lot of interest. It's not every day that one day you're hacking your way into the bank, next, next day you're physically breaking into who knows what sort of organisation. It's a yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's good. That's good. I oh, will look forward to hearing a little bit more about that um, during the during the show. Um, a little first up, since since you're new on the show, you could sort of share with us a little bit of the sort of favourite technology that you use day to day. I've noticed you've got a um, an Apple device there. Bit of an iPhone fan. Look, I, I like my iPhones. They're simple. They work. Now the the geek in me wants an Android phone, but the iPhone just works. And it interacts with the other technologies I've got probably better and easier often at times. But, you know, it is a bit of flip-flop at times. New model, you know, iPhone comes out, do I get that, do I get and you know, something else? Yeah, it's a tough decision. Always yep. new toys. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's always good stuff coming out, isn't there, really, from across all, all the camps. There's always always good good technology. It's easy, though, you get caught into one ecosystem and it come it becomes, well, if you're lazy, which I think we probably all are to a degree, the thought of actually going through a whole lot of change sometimes uh, you know puts off those, those changes. Even if we're really, really keen on a com- competing device, we might sit around and... Uh, not jump to it because of the work. Would that be fair to say for you? Look, I think it is. If I look at my house, half of my PowerPoints, most of my light bulbs are all controlled by a device and there isn't an Android app for it. There's an, only an Apple app for it. Oh, really? So, um, and look, that may evolve because they're interchanging yeah. the different sort of hub that's controlling them. But in the moment, I'm sort of locked in and I'm sure that will change. What are, the, what are the lights you're using? Um, look, at mostly at the moment, uh, they're Belkin. But there's the odd Philips ones that have gone on there as well. So actually, what does a great device, Samsung do a device, Smart Home, and not yes, brand yeah, um, yeah. Samsung, will start interfacing with everything and anything. And that's making life a bit easier as I start interchanging devices. Yeah, I think the um, you know that sort of Smart Home technology hasn't maybe moved quite as quickly as we would have liked, but I think it's, it's sort of getting starting to get to a place where uh, you know, these things are better, easier to control you know, across more ecosystems, right? Yeah. Okay, it's finding a use case for it. You know, why do you want it? You know, I ran out and bought them because they were new in the market and they're different and they sat there. But look now, you know, I'm worried I'm going to leave my garage door open when I drive out in the morning. So if I get you know, 50 metres down the road and my garage door is still open, it'll send a message to my text phone. If I get 100 metres down the road, it will ring my phone. So you know, there are some good use cases, but you know, you start playing toys, having a play. You know, it's a good start. And the cybersecurity implications of all these things do they uh, do they worry you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's just your light bulbs. There's not there's not there's not too much there. I do remember hearing a story of I think it was a marriage that broke up, and the husband was 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 pretty grumpy at the uh, the ex and. Uh, st- t- Turned air conditioning um, up really hot and things like that. So there's some, you know, probably more, not quite so risky sort of circumstances in, in a lot of cases. But w- yeah. I guess we may we may see more more dramas as time goes on and we we have more control by these gadgets. A lot. That's something to worry about. I mean, in New Zealand now you can commonly get front door locks that are remotely controlled that you can hook into your home automation. And sometimes the technology is being used for that. They're not necessarily that proven well in security. And people assume that the things are secure. So, you know, can I go around and unlock people's front doors remotely? Potentially a possibility in the future. You can know, you go and break a window, though, and uh, break in that way? So you weigh it up, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's what I worry about, you know. The threat's just as big other ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's, yeah, it's... It's fun to sort of see the new technologies come through, to see the improvements. Some of those will improve our, improve our lives. Some of them, you know, a little bit more negligible. I had uh, an example the other day, rather unfortunate actually. So I had somebody break into the house that I've just moved out of and we were getting it ready to uh, to rent out. Well, we took the internet 
connection. We took the router away and we took the security system away. And um, yes, if we'd even just left the internet connection there, then the ring doorbell, which captures a, a video of who's coming to the door, would have, would have caught something. Uh, it would have rung on my phone that somebody was uh, was having a bit of a go. We we didn't have that internet connection. Could have left um, Spark's system in place as well. And that actually doesn't even need a separate internet connection because it goes over the mobile network. But that had sort of been un- unplugged. So some good lessons there for uh, if you're leaving, if you're leaving your home empty for uh, you know for for a holiday or it's going through some sort of transition uh, actually having the technology in place can be pretty handy in those cases yeah okay look yeah we've gone from having hardwired alarms which just work most of the time yeah you're right look that that's you still needed a phone line and whatnot right yeah yeah you do. yeah yeah, and and where, where we moved into that that you know that that had an alarm but it wasn't actually operational so it's okay jump through the hoops and uh, and get something set up but the key thing is internet connectivity that's what sort of ties all this stuff together isn't it so um it's 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 pretty valuable having a good internet connection i do so look i was around when internet connectivity first appeared in new zealand we've got to now which is that many years down the track it's a huge difference i'm no longer paying you know ten dollars a megabyte for it which is great yeah, well, that brings us on to our next topic. So, good segue there into gigabit uh, ultra fast broadband is um, is now mainstream thing here in in New Zealand. Any small business or uh, consumer, you know, depending on where you are, but if you're in the right location uh, for uh, ultra fast broadband for a fibre connection, then um, that gigabit is accessible. I know uh, people with a number of internet uh, providers have already uh, been flicked over. I'm expecting my one to happen sometime over the next few days, uh, moving up from a 200 uh, megabit plan to a 1,000 megabit plan. download and i think 500 megabyte um uh, megabit uh upload speed so um so that's kind of kind of nice and it makes all these sorts of video things and so on just no drama at all right when you've got that much bandwidth on an unlimited plan oh look exactly look it stops you thinking you know if you've got you know two or three kids they start thinking about what people are doing if you're a small business or you want to come to new zealand Without that sort of connectivity, it becomes a much harder decision. I mean, you see the animation industry in New Zealand's huge now. If they couldn't pump huge volumes of data up to the US, you know, it wouldn't be worth you know coming out here for the lifestyle. Look, it's good. The price is cheap. It's easy. Mainstream's fantastic. Almost my street. Almost. It's great. You know, things are evolving pretty quickly. What's next though? So when I first got a modem, you know, its speed was two point eight kilobits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it went increasing, increasing, increasing. And the fastest you could get and the fastest copper could do was probably 28.8 kilobits. And then, you know, someone started to do some mixture, mixture of technologies, played a bit, started multiplexing, duplexing, and you got 64 kilobits. And that was it. No more faster on copper. That's what we were told. Not that long ago. Yeah. And then uh, ADSL and VDSL and so on. But, it, I mean, it's pretty pleasing having uh, having fibre in there and, you know, I guess some years out and, um, you know, I wouldn't hazard a guess, but uh, there, there will probably be a point where we'll be wanting gigabit down to, uh, 10, sorry, 10, 10 gigabit connections over our, over our fibre. Um, but probably not something we need any time particularly soon, is it? No, not yet. So, yeah, all right, well, well, good stuff going on there. Now, a few ISPs, I noticed uh, Orcon have announced their um, their gigabit plans. Uh, Worldnet, who are uh, in the same building here as, as we're, we're recording from, uh, told me that they're, um, they're, they're offering their, uh, their gigabit uh, plans. This was um, about 10 days ago, so um, presumably they've... Um, They've got those finalised and online. What the other thing they highlighted, uh, which I thought was um, was interesting, is that they've um, uh, well one of their one of their business units has uh, has done um, a deal to deliver uh, Chinese TV to New Zealand. Um, so they've got something set up at GreatWallTV.co.nz, uh, seventy six channels of. Um, of Chinese uh, TV content, I think it's sort of li- you know live streaming type uh, type stuff, um, r- rather than being uh, you know Netflix style. That's a, that's was my understanding of it anyway. Um, that they've launched. 
uh, they already also have a, um, uh, I think, some Japanese and uh, and Korean uh, offerings as as well. Um, so yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite good to see the sort of diversity and content that's becoming available uh, in New Zealand as well through these different offerings. Uh, but of course, it's the ultra fast broadband that sort of makes these things a, a lot more practical, certainly than uh, than what it was a few years ago over very slow links. And on a related note, um, Netflix are bumping up their prices. Look, that's understandable. You know, obviously, it's fair to you know pay GST in New Zealand. Um, I'm sure some people don't think that as well. So I guess it's them recouping that cost, and that doesn't sound unreasonable to me. Um, and look, I love Netflix, and therefore, you know, that extra two or three dollars, I'm not going to worry about it. It wouldn't stop me using the service. If it's two or three dollars this year and two or three dollars next year, so on. Maybe I think about it. But um, look, I, I think, you know, it's fair that if you're operating New Zealand, you're paying your fair share of the taxes. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not a, a simple situation with these global companies and where they operate and in which countries they deliver services in. But, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good move, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, well, the, I guess a bit about it for me was that... Um, that I was wrong because I sort of assumed that they would want to keep at the same prices as the other offerings in the market and that, you know, their pricing was, you know, they'd just lined it up to be competitive with the other offerings and that when they were forced to pay GST that actually our prices wouldn't go up. Um, so, hey, I admit it, I got that uh, I got that one a little bit wrong. Um, in terms of why they did that, well, maybe this was their plan all along. Um, I would also think maybe the other reason why they've done it is actually they're just so strong in the market that they've got such a big share of the uh, of the streaming market locally that hey you know why wouldn't they uh, why wouldn't they bump it up because as you say for a couple of dollars most people aren't going to uh, aren't going to make a change and uh, and ditch Netflix and ultimately they want to have a um, a good profitable global business so yeah it's 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 not a not a uh, not a big enough hike probably in most cases people are going to ditch it so their their lowest cost service was 9 um $9.99 their non HD uh service that's gone up to 1149 uh their standard service 1299 up to 1499 and then their uh, their premium one which i think is for 4K uh, or ultra high definition uh, goes up from sixteen dollars to eighteen dollars forty nine, uh, so that's that's you know definitely right at the uh, right at the top sort of uh, price point. Do you think it'll be long before uh, we're paying a lot more than that, or do you think these things will settle down and stay at these type of price points because one provider isn't going to tick all the boxes for everyone, and and people ultimately may have you know two or three services plus pay extra for you know sport and things like that that they want. Yeah, look, I'll presume it settled down. You know, they were fairly a new entrant to market or new entrant with such a large, you know, um, library of of um, media, and they've done well. And it's a big brand name, is a brand name we recognise. But other players are catching up too. Um, and, you know, and it will come down to who has the content. And again, and like you mentioned, I think a lot of people who've got Netflix haven't just got Netflix. They've probably got Lightbox. They may have Hulu. They may have something else. Because it comes down what you want to watch, and not one of them has everything you want to watch. You know, there'll be things in Lightbox I want to watch that Netflix doesn't have, you know. So I think, you know, that competitiveness will increase. You know, there's some good products out there in the market now. They work well. You know, first to market, yep, volume share. But it's about maintaining that and making it relevant to New Zealanders where some New Zealand products may be able to do that a lot easier. You know, what makes it relevant? You know, if you look at the likes of eBay Trade Me, eBay was around a lot earlier than Trade Me. You know, trade me popped up New Zealand. Essentially, got rid of eBay almost. You know, we don't use eBay. Well, it's not commonly used by people, so it doesn't always matter about size or content or volume. It's what works for Kiwis. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Now, on that um, that eBay versus uh, trade me front, we've uh, we've been seeing for a little while that um, Facebook have been sort of you know playing in the. Uh, or crossing into that sort of you know space for online uh, commerce with their marketplace, 
and you know, I think it was in the news yesterday that they've now sort of you know formally launched their um, their, their buying and selling across New Zealand, Australia, I think UK, USA. There's sort of four or five countries that are that are in there, and you've been able to do this for a while through um, uh, groups on uh, on Facebook. Uh, but they seem to have uh, have tweaked that a little bit more. I haven't uh, spent a lot of time on there looking at it, but I have joined up to a few of these things recently just to sort of monitor and to see how they operated. The experience to me seems reasonably poor. I don't know if you've seen any of this stuff, but um, you know you've just you've got basically you know lots and lots of pictures to sort of scroll through of, of product. It's not uh, organised in the same uh, unless I've. Well, hold on. Here's a categories button. Oh, there you go. Maybe you can you can browse it like Trade Me. Not doesn't look quite to the same uh, the same extent. Let's have a look. Um, yeah, there's a bit of browsing, but it's not not the same as a Trade Me sort of experience. That's not. Look, I've had a quick look at it, and it wasn't intuitive. I looked at it, and it looked like yeah, it was just a bunch of pictures, and you click on them, and you could search for things. It wasn't as easy. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what it involves into, and whether people want to you know had that social media and that buying and selling on the same platform. Look, certainly in groups, it's worked really well. Where you're in a local community and, you know, has anybody got one of these? I've got one of these to give away for free. Building that community really works because that's what Trade Me did so well was building that community, the ability to interact. Um, so it's got potential. But you're right, at the moment, compared to an eBay experience or compared to a Trade Me experience, personally, it's not there for me. But yeah, it's the early days, and it's got its, it's got its place there, doesn't it? There's room, oh, yeah. for, there's room for uh, variety, and yeah, you know, it does seem as though a bunch of people are actually using using it. It's uh, you know, it's, it's generating, I think, a reasonable amount of sales. And the thing that people will like, uh, you know, when you, you you work in the the aspect that Facebook have got so many users, which has always been the challenge for anyone locally trying to compete with Trade Me, right? It's well, why would I put it there because look, there's so few eyeballs compared to what there is on, on Trade Me. But because they're doing something a little bit different, uh, because people spend so much time on Facebook, um, and because there are no fees, then that you know just makes the whole thing um, feasible because they're, they're, not, they're not a direct, I guess, a direct competitor to what's out there because it is different. Um, and it does seem to have sort of worked by stealth in terms of growing a, um, you know, growing a, a bit of a... Uh, um, a base of people using it and doing doing um, doing their uh, their buying and selling. So I think it'll be a watch this space and see what happens. Yeah, I don't think it's a, um, a thing um, you know just yet where trade me will you know be uh, jumping into into a big panic. But I'm sure they're having a having a close look and um, you know trying to get their head around what the potential of it might be, but. You would think with the reach that Facebook has, which is pretty unprecedented really, that they will try and work out a way to evolve this over time. And if they can evolve it into something that they can make a cut on transactions off in the longer term future, um, then I'm sure they'd be pretty happy about that. And I'm sure you know they've got a long-term strategy here. And there being no fees at this stage, is uh, is I don't think is necessarily indicative of what uh, what that longer term might hold for them. It'd be interesting to see. Look, if you've got a platform like um, Facebook, you know, why not have a bit of an experiment? You know, you know, take a risk. Does it work? Great, evolve it. If it doesn't work, do something different. You know, you've got that community now who are really engaged with Facebook. Give it a go. Yeah, and they've I mean they've actually dabbled I think with this marketplace thing for a number of years in varying forms, uh, but right now it. Um, it does seem to be working for them to a degree, so uh, we will we will no doubt see uh, see where it goes. Um, but I wouldn't be so confident having uh, having shares in, in trade me uh, now as I w- you know I would have been a, maybe a, a, a couple of years ago. Perhaps not, but still trade me versus eBay. eBay still bigger. Trade me does really really well in New Zealand. Yep. So it'd be interesting to see. Th- that's it. I would do many more transactions on eBay uh, than I do on trade me these days. Depends what I'm after. If I'm after a gadget or something, probably eBay. Yeah. It can get shipped, shipped out of China or Hong Kong somewhere at a bargain. Probably not costing much shipping, if anything. But, you know, there's stuff I'll buy locally because it's locally and it's here. True. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Now, gadgets. Um, HP have uh, have announced last uh, the last few days the Elite Slice. Um, 
a competitor to things like the Intel NUC, uh, Lenovo's Tiny PC, Mac Mini even. Um, you know, that similar sort of small form factor looks quite nice. Uh, it's set up to be, you can sort of stack it with varying accessories so it doesn't have a CD or DVD drive in it, but you can just add one as a, a slice. I guess that's the that's the name. You can add... Uh, um, a nice um, audio. I think they've got some Bang and Olufsen sort of audio, and it just sort of it stacks, so it just makes the unit uh, unit taller. But it looks like an interesting little you know concept for a small size PC. I think launching it around seven hundred uh, US dollars. Uh, it would definitely be be something I'll be interested to have a have a little bit of a look at and to uh, and to see where it fits in, into the market. But you know, HP having the certainly the biggest slice of the the PC market here in New Zealand. I would, uh, I would imagine this will be uh, be something that they're going to promote uh, promote locally. Um, where do you think something like this might be might be useful? This sort of smaller smaller form factor PC. Look, it looks interesting in an office environment. Attaching some of that to the back of a monitor, taking that box away is a great pro- you know is a great thing. You know, if you've got a desktop, you know, where do you put the box? Under the desk, on the desk, you know, under the monitor. It's still a bit of a hassle. You know, something small like that works. Or if you're doing something that's single purpose um, you, but you need some powerful computing behind it it's great so I've run similar devices attached to the back of monitors and they've got you know, a, specific, a specific purpose works well so I've you know, internet enabled devices that we couldn't otherwise um, if you want a multifunction device that's portable I can understand that working as well you know, you're not having to try and lug a thing around I remember lugging a you know, 20 kilo desktop around it doesn't work um, <laughs> So I, I think it comes down to people's imagination. Yeah. But giving them the options and you write that stackability aspect will allow people to say, well, this would work in our environment for this purpose and that purpose. So it's a lot more multifunctional. Yep, yep, yep. No, I think it uh, looks cool. And, yeah, also where, you know, where people want full-blown PC-type capabilities in a, in a TV, right, and similar, as you say, to attaching it to a, a monitor. Um, yeah, you either hide it in a cabinet with other gear or attach it to to the back of a back of a tv and um yeah you've got pretty pretty full capabilities then um now on to another gadget now this is one that was um was shown off at uh, at ces in january in uh, in las vegas um as part of uh, intel's keynote there uh, just in, in a video uh demonstration of it i don't think they actually had the uh, the actual product um and this is um, Oakley's smart uh, sunglasses. Now, that might sound a little bit odd, but what's interesting is these have got um, they've got headphones uh, built into them. Um, they're called the Radar Pace glasses, and basically, you've got um, you've got a whole lot of smarts here that are aimed at providing uh, coaching. So if you're a runner or a cyclist, um, basically with the radar, it's going to be able to guide you through a workout. The radar pace will, um, you know, will try not, well, will, uh, will push you at an appropriate sort of level for what you're capable of. Um, and the interesting thing about this is, is I'm only aware of one company in the world that, that actually makes these sorts of smarts and that, uh, that, designs it and it's a company here um, in New Zealand called Performance Lab so my pick although there's nothing at all on the press release or anything about it but my pick is it's it's pretty highly likely that they're actually these things are actually using this New Zealand uh, technology and uh, the Performance Lab guys have worked with the likes of the All Blacks and uh, America's Cup teams and so on in, in performance coaching uh, they've built up a huge amount of, of, of data uh, and you know what their technology is is all about is you know helping people perform, but uh, without necessarily ha- having to have that personal coach with them the whole time. Um, so um, it looks looks pretty cool. I haven't got my hands on um, um, any of these. They're four, listed at four hundred and fifty US dollars. So just gone on the on the market. Um, but I think this you know this is part of the the future that we expect with. Um, you know, bots and um, um, you know, voice-activated um, technologies becoming uh, becoming much more personalised. Yeah, wearables are starting to become actually practical. I'm no longer putting a, an iPod 
strapped to my arm and you know, wondering why my arm hurts. Yeah. Um, as long as I play zombie sounds, so I know the zombies are chasing me, makes you run faster. That'd be great. Hey, that's 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 a good idea. They should uh, they should definitely take that into consideration for the next version. I just don't want to fall over and break it or lose it somewhere. <laughs> Not that price, but you know, <laughs> things will evolve over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, I mean, it looks uh, looks pretty looks pretty slick. I you know when I heard it announced, I I was pretty curious what sort of price point would this come come in at. I guess it's you know it's got a bunch of uh, bunch of sensors in there. I think you probably have to tie it into um, to <coughs> You know, another gadget to be able to pick up all the all the information that um, that that these things will uh, will need. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit uh, a little bit more about it. But seems uh, seems pretty cool to me, especially if it does have that uh, that Kiwi technology in it. That just makes it all the better, as far as I'm concerned. I think you're right. There are a lot of Kiwi tech companies that go under the radar. You don't see their product overtly. We don't see their product necessarily so much in New Zealand. You go somewhere like Hamilton or Christchurch, it's full of great tech companies yeah, and all around the country. Mm, mm. No, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Now, I'll dive into this other one a bit more next week because I, I realised um, that I didn't – I forgot to uh, bring it in with me. But uh, on the show floor at, uh, at Microsoft's Ignite in Atlanta last week, I came across the stand for uh, Sennheiser. Now, I'm used to a lot of Sennheiser gear because I've used their, we use their head, headphones in the studio. We've been using their mics in the studio um, for many, many years, although we've actually uh, we've just switched over to some some different microphones uh, recently. But, you know, we use, used a fair bit of their, fair bit of their gear. Um, but one area I hadn't realised that they were, they were really putting quite a big effort into um, is the business space as far as um, headphones and um, uh, headsets for video conferencing and audio conferencing, yeah, Skype for business type uh, type stuff. And so last week they launched a new headset. Um, they always have silly names for these things, but uh, it's called the MB660 UCMS, Wireless Skype for Business Certified um um, headphones. Now, to me, this actually looked quite similar to the the Bose headphones that are very popular, particularly for for frequent flyers. And um, when I looked at the you know the capabilities, they uh, they line up quite well. Now, in terms of actually how good they are in comparison, um, I haven't actually tried um, the newest of the Bose headphones. I've tried the QC twenty fives, the QC thirty fives, are their new Bluetooth ones that seem to be. Uh, Seem to be very popular, um, but these sort of seems to, uh, to to line up, and it's got you know the the um, uh, the Bluetooth capabilities, but you can also you know plug them into a a, um, a standard three point five millimeter connection and so on um, in your iPhone if you've got a uh, anything other than the seven, or you've got the convert- the little converter that comes with your seven. Um, but the other thing they've got is a direct. Um, USB connection, which you use to charge them, and you can plug that straight into uh, straight into a PC uh, or a Mac to uh, to use it that way over the um, over the USB cable, which I thought was um, was quite good. So you've sort of got you know three ways of uh, three ways of connecting, and um, the unique bit is they've got um, uh, they've got the the um, noise cancelling, which is quite handy on a, on a flight. So I tried that on my on my flight back from uh, Houston on, uh, I get mixed up what day it was because of the time change. Um, I guess it was it was Friday night uh, in the US um, time. Um, but yeah, sitting on that plane, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to turn that on. But they've got an adaptive uh, version of this noise uh, cancelling. And they're talking about that being useful in a in a work environment where you kind of want to quieten down all the noise that's going on in the room, but you still maybe want to hear what people are saying and so on a little bit more. So uh, you've got that uh, that adaptive cancelling. Certainly handy to have some bit more advanced, a bit more interesting out there because Skype for business in a work environment is incredibly common now, and so is open plan. And those sort of things you know start to be a struggle at times. That noise around you, yeah, and you know often you've got some cheap nasty. You know, headphones, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to trying them out. Yep. So they, they, they look they look pretty good and, um, yeah, worth, worth the look. They're definitely at that sort of higher end, but, um, you know, I imagine there, there are probably a few people that would, would go for the bows, but, um, you know, this provides them an alternative and, of course, being a – being a business-oriented product, uh, you know, probably it's something that the business might uh, might happen to pick up for them. So, uh, whereas 
getting getting the bows is probably usually a personal purchase, so I, I can imagine them being popular from that perspective. Um, but they've got a bunch of other other products as as well as as um, um, the MB six sixty. So the, you know the, the, there's a, there's a mix of different ones for uh, for different markets. Oh, the other thing I thought was interesting, there, um, and I can't remember whether the uh, the Bose has this or not, but they've just included in the box, as is sometimes the case, um, the little USB to Bluetooth um, connectivity as well. So I mean it's it's very very complete. It's going to cover you in uh, in most situations. The only bit that got me was with my first uh, go at them, the audio didn't sound quite as clear as what I would have liked, so I need to do a bit more testing around that. That was the bit where I thought, I I would have thought for Sennheiser they would do a bit better, but it might be that thing that the the microphone is is built into the headphone, you don't have a sort of a boom arm and so on with these ones, and that, that may be what limits it, but they've got a few other options as well, so yeah. Um, and then the other company that's um, been been doing stuff in this sort of area of um, Skype and uh, and Skype for Business is uh, is Logitech, and the thing that they announced is their um, their smart dock. Now, this is kind of a curious looking thing, and I think created a little bit of confusion for uh, for a few few people I saw commenting on it. Um, basically, it's a um, a docking system for a Microsoft Surface Pro would be one way of describing it and I think that that was probably where where the confusion came from because yes it does look like and it's and it's been referred to as a as a smart dock um, but it actually comes with the Surface Pro built into it so you don't actually take a Surface and link it into this dock it's actually encased uh, within the dock and it's basically sort of a turnkey solution for those um, that video conferencing with the likes of uh, Skype for Business. So uh, you get the smart dock, you get the Logitech camera and uh, microphones and extension microphones, whatever you need for your uh, for your environment. Um, and it's something that you basically just can walk up to, walk into a meeting room, and use this to uh, to uh, initiate a remote you know, a remote meeting and so on over Skype for Business. Well, look, I think that sort of thing's pretty good, actually, because, you know, people have gone to Skype for Business, they haven't really quite worked out, well, how do we do the video conferencing that? So I was in a meeting probably a couple of weeks ago, people passed the laptop around as they spoke. You know, one laptop, all the video conferencing stuff had long gone, and, all, you know, everyone was using Skype. But that didn't really work. There's a group of eight people passing a laptop around, so you're on the camera and you're the person doing talking. Or there's one headset, you know, Sometimes it's a bit hard to think those things through. So something first time like that, I think it's got a place, particularly in a business context, you know, could work really well. Yeah, yep. Um, now, actually, I just have seen a note here saying that they will be selling the smart dock on its own without the Surface Pro. So um, that's maybe where confusion had had come because I saw, you know, some online commentary saying, oh, is it going to work with, you know, varying older models of Surface and so on. So... What they told me when I met with them was that would you, you would buy it basically as a complete solution, but here I'm seeing 600 US would actually get you just the dock bit on its own, uh, and you know, a lot of businesses will already really have uh, some of the other components from uh, from Logitech in terms of their uh, their you know, camera microphone uh, solutions that have been um, you know, re- reasonably popular since they uh, since they launched. So. Um, that, I guess that's quite you know quite nice for people that maybe have got a Surface Pro four already that's maybe not being used and they can uh, they can just pop it into uh, pop it into that dock. Um, yeah, looks uh, looks interesting. Now, what else do we have on the um, the list? Um, Google getting getting pretty close to uh, their big announcement. In fact, probably a route depending on when you listen to the podcast, um, they may have already uh, you know can confirmed everything. But there's been plenty of leaks online, uh, particularly around the, uh, the 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 Pixel phone, uh, which really seems to be the uh, you know the big thing people are getting uh, getting excited about. And uh, you know, of course, I think we'll we'll, we'll see one or two other uh, things from Google this this week as well. What's your thought on um, on on Google sort of re re sort of relaunching phones? I you know suppose I mean uh, you know by changing to this Pixel branding and and uh, looks like they're going to be you know really um, uh, being very upfront that it's a that it's you know a fully Google branded phone. It's a little bit of a step away from where they were with their uh, their Nexus devices uh, in the past. Yeah, look, I had an ex- <coughs> excuse me. I had Nexus device, good phone, really loved it. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, you know, people like the Google brand, people associate the Google brand. 
you know, I don't think it's going to be any negativity against that. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I like the idea. I like what I've read about it so far. Um, will I replace my phone for it? Probably not. But when it came to the decision to get a new phone, I said consider it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to, we will see the, uh, the launch of uh, Google Home, which is a sort of a competitor to uh, Amazon's Echo. Um, and where, where uh, Google will likely go here, I would think, is they will move probably a fair bit quicker than Amazon on uh, making it available more internationally. Uh, doesn't mean it's going to be available in New Zealand from uh, from day one, but I mean we'll we'll find that out pretty uh, uh, pretty smartly, I suppose. That'd be great because Amazon at the moment fantastic product, but I can't use it. I can't you mm. know go order something. Or I can't get one of the little buttons that I put on the washing machine. I push it, and suddenly you know some new laundry detergent appears. So Amazon's done it really well for a US market and a bit wider. If they make it in New Zealand, we can get it down here. Love it. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, and as yeah, talk maybe uh, new Chromecast and uh, maybe a router in there. So we'll we'll see what actually lands. Um, but you know, the two things that are, that are getting the most attention is the um, uh, the Pixel and the Pixel XL uh, smartphones. All the leaks online, they look pretty slick. Their specifications are pretty good. Five inch display for the Pixel, five point five inch for the uh, the Pixel XL. Uh, you know, loaded with um, you know lots of lots of RAM, varying storage options. Um, yeah, looks like nice nice high end uh, displays, twelve megapixels, ca- twelve megapixel uh, uh, cameras. Uh, you know, fingerprint reader, decent sized batteries, and so on. So look uh, look pretty strong. Um, interestingly, I don't think that they're uh, they're trying to sort of swoop in. And um, you know, massively undercut the competition on on pricing. But again, that's something that we'll uh, um, we'll actually see you know confirmed with the with the official announcements. So yeah, I'm quite look, quite looking forward to that. And um, you know, hopefully they're not too hard to get our our hands on down here uh, in New Zealand as well. That uh, they'll they'll be made available in a you know very similar time frame as uh, as the US. Yeah, look, I expect they'll appear pretty quick. The, the demand these days we. It's not wait six months in New Zealand now for something. Fortunately, yeah. We want it now. Yeah. yeah. So um no, it's 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 good stuff. Now um I thought we should have a little bit of a little bit of a chat around uh what is happening in the world of cybersecurity since uh, this is kind of, you know, what you live and breathe uh, day to day and it was uh, it was how, how we met at um, one of the sort of government-initiated little uh, little gatherings in, in Wellington a, a, a few weeks ago. Um, maybe you can give us a little rundown of sort of, you know, what, what is um, KPMG cybersecurity all about? What do, you, uh, what do you do there? Sure. Look, we're about helping organisations protect their assets, their information assets, their people, you know, their reputation. And look, it's a hard thing. It's a complex thing. Most New Zealand organisations wouldn't have a dedicated security person. And while they might have an IT person, you know, that IT person is trying to make things run, trying to deal with a million things at once, and it's hard to get that specialist knowledge. So, you know, that, that's our goal is to be that security person that companies call upon. So we do everything from designing security into systems, into applications, or you know, infrastructure, whatever it may be, maybe designing from a governance point of view, um, through to testing, through pen testing or penetration testing, where you're simulating someone trying to break into systems, or red team testing, which is, a, a, I guess, a, a bigger version of penetration testing. We do everything but run systems. Yep, yep. So there's... Uh there's a fair bit to keep you busy there. Are there sort of typical um, you know, types of organisations that you, you, know, that you work with uh, mostly? Oh, no, there's probably nothing typical. Yeah. So we work with very small startups because they realise they've got limited money and it's really, really important to them to make sure that they're protecting the efforts they're doing. Up to multinationals, where again, you know, the challenge is that big, they just need more people as well. So, you know, private sector, public sector, small and large, certainly a lot of work in the public sector. The public sector, after we saw incidents in 2012-13, you know, your ACCs, your Winds Kiosk, are taking things really seriously. That's good. You know, it's it, good it's to hard. See. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of resources in New Zealand at the moment are sitting down in Wellington because that is such a big task. Mm, mm, absolutely. So how, how big is your team? How many people do you have in New Zealand doing this stuff? We've got about 25 of us, and I think there's uh, another one hopefully signs up today. And another end of the week. Wow! So, so things things are really moving, and you're part of a much bigger global team, though, aren't you? I mean, uh, you know, this is this is a, a pretty big, uh, 
you know area for KPMG globally now. Oh, right? Look, it is in terms of our priority areas. It's, it's one of our top six. Um, it is where we're putting those those investments in, and it's certainly paying off for us because um, it is such a big global challenge. Albeit New Zealand, sometimes we forget that you know the threats to us are just as big as to Americans or to Australians or to UK. Yeah. You, <coughs> Now, well, n- next week, I guess, we've got uh, Connect Smart Week coming up he- uh, here in New Zealand. Now, I mean, part of that is around sort of, you know, educating us, isn't it, and, uh, and getting the message out that uh, you know, actually cybersecurity is, is an important consideration and, uh, and we are real targets, right? Look, look at it as, and we um, tend to think because we're geographically isolated, that we're isolated from the problems. We're perhaps a little bit naive in New Zealand. We see the headlines, but the headlines are from the US or from offshore or, you know, somewhere else. And it's not because the U.S. is any worse than us. In fact, it's probably the opposite way around. But in the U.S., for example, if you have a privacy breach, and often that's due to a security issue, you've got a legal uh, obligation to tell the people that are affected. So security breaches become public very, very quickly. In New Zealand, there's no need to do that. You don't need to tell people. And that could be rapidly changing. So I guess that's part of the reason that you know things are under the radar. You're not going to put your hand up and go to the 6 o'clock news and say, I got broken into, or I said crypto locker, you know, lock up all our computers. We paid fifty thousand dollars. You hear you know? about if it's a big entity, right? That 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 can't uh, can't keep it quiet. You know, we've had it in the uh, you know public health sort of uh, sector and 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 so on, right? There have been a few few things where uh, where you know it's impossible to keep them under wraps. But you know, as you say, otherwise uh, people aren't going to you know put their hand up and sort of wave a flag around because they're they're not particularly proud of the situation that's occurred. Even no. <laughs> even though it's you know it's not something they were deliberately setting themselves up for, but there always there's always more an organisation can do to protect themselves. Yeah. And I guess you know the time and effort you put into our brand and our reputation, years and years and years, we're destroyed in a nanosecond. You know, reputation is probably the thing we sometimes forget about. It's not necessarily about direct cost and money. Um, you know, it's about getting smart, doing it right, and um, you know, keeping that brand. Yeah, I, mean, I guess, you know, we're, we're in a world now where, you know, it's a little bit, we, we talked earlier about, um, you know, having those gadgets that could control your doors and so on, but then there's always, you know, someone could break a window and get in another way. We are kind of in a world, though, where if, if somebody really wants to get us, then they're, they're probably able to one, one way or another, right, when you work in all the social engineering and the varying angles in which people can, uh, in which people can break in. You can't be, you can't be 100% safe. No, you, no, it's not about if. And look, people talk about if a long time, if we get broken into it. It's about when. So it's all, you know, it's not just about having those preventative measures. It's about what do you do when it does happen? How do you respond to it? And you see incidents all over the, all the time, you know, whether it is for your more traditional disaster recovery situations or something, you know, far more malicious. It's about how well are you prepared, how well do you respond. It's going to be how good you come out the other side. And I don't think organisations are thinking about that yet. You know, seeing people think about crisis management for security is rare. Thinking about how they respond to particular types of incidents, do they practice, do they educate, it's still quite rare. I think New Zealand, we're a little bit behind at times. We're still looking, trying to lock the front door. And that's really, really important because you leave the front door open, someone's going to steal your TV. But then, okay, we're getting that in place, a lot more robust, a lot more mature. But again, it's having that response mechanism as well. We still tend to think that security is about technology at times. And technology is part of it. It's also about people. It's also about process. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Now... There's been a few in- interesting incidents in the in the media sort of recently, um, last few days, and Android uh, lock screen uh, ransomware. Now, I think uh, this has been around in the past, but it, it seems to have got quite a bit of attention because it's um, it's getting more widespread, and it's also it's um, it's 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 probably a lot a lot better implemented now. Um, so you know, people are basically seeing they might have their phone. Maybe they haven't got it all backed up and so on. Um, they could have other Android devices like TVs and so on. I mean, Android's on a bunch of things these days, right? Um, and, yeah, this uh, ransomware sort of comes up and basically stops you from getting into your device. Um, that could be a bit bit nasty, right? You look, if I was malicious, it's not a bad target. You know, if you look into your standard computer, people are backing things up. People got better malware checking, you know, when they came to it. They're aware of it. People tend to forget that their phones are a computer. You know, and again, you know, 
how critical is your phone to you as an individual? Most people, as I see most people listening, their phone is their life. You know, if I didn't have my phone, what would it mean? I would pay the money, you know, potentially to do it. And you know, Android, it's a volume of Android phones out there, huge volume. Therefore, from a mass market, you know, distribute the malware, you're going to get a fairly high return. You know, and that's often what malware is about. We talk about malware on, say, Macs versus you know, PCs. PCs aren't any better than Macs from a security point of view, but they get targeted far, far more because they're far more common. Um, as we see Macs being used more and more, you start to see more malware. It's the same argument. Lots of Androids, good target. And look, a lot of people with Android phones like, you know, like to root them, like to put on some apps where they probably shouldn't have got them from. And you know, it's quite an easy target to spread malware along. And again, we don't patch our phones as much as we could or update our phones. You know, my Apple phone keeps you know, annoying me now, says update me, update me. If I've got Windows 10, it's happening in the background. But, you know, Android, you know, a lot of Android phones you can't update or you're relying upon, you know, the update passing through the whole chain to get to the carrier to send the update over. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Some, you know, cheaper phones, you won't ever get an update. Um, so it seems like an easy target. And you've got other gadgets like, a, you know, a, a TV or a, or a HDMI stick that plugs into a TV and those, those sorts of things. And I've seen a, a big screen TV already had sort of CryptoLocker-style virus really? on it. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's been resolved yet because how do you flash a TV? Yeah. How do you of, get the firmware? It's a bit of hard work. And if it's a low-cost device like that, it might be just as easy to throw it in the bin, right, than, uh, than to spend hours and hours sort of fiddling around with it and certainly – Cheaper with some of those to throw them away than to uh, than to pay the ransom. The one I saw was probably five thousand dollars plus TV. So oh, okay, uh, so, sure okay. so this was like a Sony TV type scenario or something like that. It's got it built in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So, so it's not just a little stick that plugs into the TV. It's actually the main TV. It's the main TV. <laughs> yeah, okay. They've been fiddling around with it. They're jailbroken it. They put some extra apps they shouldn't have on it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. All right, so that that could be an expensive lesson to learn potentially. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it'll be. I'll be I wonder whether we will see uh, some sort of cyber security insurance uh, targeting uh, consumers for these sorts of things in our home, right? Because we've already got cyber security uh, insurance, you know, targeting uh, business. I, don't, I mean, maybe there is something targeting everyday or offered to everyday individuals. I've not seen it yet. Mm. Look, um, mm. in New Zealand market, cyber insurance for businesses is fairly new. I mean, one of the insurers has been saying for probably four years. Some of the other insurers are quite new in, in it. Um, so it's an evolving aspect. Cyber security insurance for the home user? Look, you know, certainly if it existed, people were considering it. You know, what does it mean, again, if your computer's lost, the information on it? We don't always back things up. We don't do what we're meant to do. At the moment, our insurance policies probably don't cover. Now, one of the other interesting um, things was, now this was, I think, uh, mid-last month, was one of the sort of, I guess, the, the bigger you know places where you keep up to date with what's happening in security. Uh, Krebs on security got hit with a, a massive um, DDoS, or distributed denial of service attack. And the um, the this sort of happened from... Um, not from just everyday computers, but from IoT devices or Internet of, of Things uh, gadgets that um, you know were working together as a as a botnet, and the um, the source code for some of the software um, uh, pieces that made that possible have uh, have now been released. This is kind of interesting. It is. Look, you know, distributed denial service attacks as a whole, I, I suspect will be increasing. You know, attack vector because most organisations don't have any protection mechanisms against it. So you want to take someone off the air, impact some harm. It's a quick way of doing it. Now, in that case, Akamai was protecting them. They stopped it. That was great. But most people won't have you know, signed up for something like that. And Internet of Things, again, it's a bit like your phone. It doesn't look like a computer to people, so people tend to forget that it is a computer. But it's probably running a version of Linux, a version of Android. It's running something that can do a lot more. And more and more of these devices are you know, directly on the Internet. And people, you know, again, are using consumer technologies starting to use them in the corporate world without thinking about, you know, what's the difference in risk. And that's where the smartphones came from. Originally, never designed for a corporate world. We took them into the corporate world, you know, oh, if we hadn't thought about the security and the implications. We've caught up, so it's great. But the other things, you know, what would it mean if my light bulb started attacking people? And, you know, it's got an operating system in it. It gets updates as well, you know, because it's obviously got security vulnerabilities and the, and the vendors release 
updates. What would that mean if you know somehow I started doing things? Yeah. Well, you know? I guess the, the, the you know we look at that and go, oh, who cares if you know the light bulb has a problem? But you know, think of these things. Well, that's part of your your home network or your business network, depending on where it is. And you know, if you get something dodgy that's on that, well, where can it hop to from there? And, you know, can it start listening in on other things that are going on on your network and so on? So those those are probably some of the potential risks, aren't they? Look, they are exactly. And what would it mean if the cloud service that my light bulbs talk to so that I can control it, what would that mean if that got broken into? Again, we don't tend to think about that because it's presented it. Here's a light bulb. Here's an app you download. You know, people don't think about well, how does that app communicate with my light bulb. Mm. Um, or if it's a cloud service that's get, get streaming all the all the video that uh, you know your your security cameras and so on. Oh, look, we've seen it, baby monitors and you know video cameras. Yeah. We've seen people break into video conferencing systems. You know, basically become more internet enabled. And you know, I would have said you know five years ago that's not going to happen, but it is and is. Mm. Um, yeah, what will that mean? Yeah. Yep. No, there's a there's a lot to think about. Um, so, Connect Smart uh, Week next week. What um, you're you're sort of a, across what's happening there. You want yeah. one, one or two bits and pieces. What you know? Look, Connect Smart's great. If you've not heard of it, it's a initiative run by the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, where the Cyber Policy Office resolves, and it's about making New Zealanders more security aware. So, the theme for next week is about increasing our security awareness and capability of individuals in our work environment. And that's pretty critical because, you know, what we do at home, what we do at the work has the impact, vice versa. And it's running the same time as a very similar event in Australia and over in America, I think it's it's something similar to Cyber Month, you know, some scheme. Yeah. And there'll be a range of events happening uh, from both the public sector and from the private sector uh, because it's sort of a public-private sector um, joint venture and people will be releasing some interesting statistics like ourselves which will hopefully get New Zealanders a bit more security aware there's uh, some forums around the country where the private sector are coming in talking about the government's cyber security initiative and how's it going there's a range of different vendors releasing some information it's a great it's a focus point for helping make us more aware because it's got to be good game for our work lives and our personal lives yeah, and you know, especially in a country like New Zealand, where we're getting better and better internet, and you know, I know it wasn't that long ago people were complaining, uh, or I think maybe it was Orcon that were playing on, um, you know, third world internet in New Zealand and so on. But you know, we're getting some pretty good internet in a lot of places. No, it's not there for everyone, and uh, you know, it's it's probably, you know, maybe it's half the population now that's got access to some 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 very reasonable internet. So you know, there's 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 more there's more challenges, I guess, and particularly in remote locations. But uh, you know, as we get more and more of this, we're going to uh, we're going to utilize it more in our personal lives and in, and in business. So uh, being smart around uh, cybersecurity things is going to make a big difference, I think, to to the future of you know our economy. I, I think so. It's already in the sealed economy. Estimated cost us two hundred fifty six million a year, and it's increasing in your, in your organization you work for for. You can put fantastic defences in and then that one person gives out their password to a phishing email or that one person you know, thinks that email coming in is from the chief executive and just pays a six, seven-figure sum out the door <laughs> and it happens. Yeah, and there's been yeah. some big, big numbers yeah. that we haven't seen publicly. Yeah. You know, it can undermine things. You know, That weakest point is the human. And look, it's hard because you can't get everybody to the same level, but you can get them mostly going in the same direction. You can reduce the likelihood considerably. Yeah, it's key. You know, yeah, it's, it's a good initiative, really good initiative. That's good stuff. Well, great to have you on the on the podcast, Philip. No, thank you very much for the invite. Much appreciated. People want to get get hold of you. Where would they Where would they track you down? Look, certainly, um, you look on Twitter. So KPMGNZ underscore Cyber, LinkedIn KPMG dash Cyber, KPMG NZ slash Cyber. Yeah, you name you find us on all social media. Yeah, uh, a yeah. bit of Google will help you too. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Well, uh, yeah, great to uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks very much, and uh, that's us for uh, for another week. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, for tuning in. Um, last week's episode, we apologise some uh, bit of challenges there with my travels and so on, but you will yeah we should be all, all caught up in terms of episodes by the time you uh, you hear this one. All right, thanks everyone. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.